Hi, this is Dee, and you are listening to my podcast, Let Me Clear My Throat. Um, I'm not really for sure what number this is of mine. Um, I've been doing podcasts uh, for a while now, uh, since I think July or something. Feel free to check out my other episodes. I also have a YouTube ch- channel. It's called uh, D. Let Me Clear My Throat. Um, and I also have a link on there that links back to my podcast. I only have, uh, I think, three of them on there now on my YouTube as I'm still uploading them there. But you can click on my link and it will take you to my podcast um, where I have, like, I think over 20-some podcasts so far. Um, the last couple of podcasts I've done, I have been relating it to talk about felons um, and how difficult it's been for felons to be able to um, – have a life outside of sentencing uh, when they're released from prison and basically handed the world with no, um, really no um, adequate tools, if you will. Um, And it's been very trying and very uh, limited for a lot of them. Um, But however, um, I want to kind of spin off a little bit on that and take it in a different direction, but also the same kind of area, but not, if that makes sense, probably that makes sense. Um, but hopefully as I evolve here and go on, uh, it'll make a little bit more uh, sense. Um, as most people know, if you've listened to any of my podcasts or know me personally, I'm a very huge um, advocate um, for our men and women in the military, our veterans. Um, I'm very, very, very big subject on that. Um, I do not... Um, have any problem <laughs> voicing my um, my my opinion and my voice actually where it comes due to um, this area. Um, I am very very huge um, in the military um, and veterans um, that are homeless um, that have sacrificed their lives and their livelihood. Um, and all to come home or to be um, put in a world that they have become homeless or they don't have the correct resources by the government to be able to lead a, I don't want to say normal life because I don't think that's even in their vocabulary uh, when they come back from the military, Um, but have some sort of um, opportunities of um, having some type of life, um, if anything. But there are more and more <clears throat> military and veterans that find themselves um, going from one extreme of the government to another extreme of the government. So they go from fighting war and fighting battles in order to protect our freedom and our country and our government, all to be able to uh, come back to a world that they find themselves in the system of trying to um, deal with their battles and deal with their livelihood, deal with all the things that they have lost and the PTSD and the demons that play constant war inside of them um, and the sacrifices they have made not only to their their well-being but also their physical, physical well-being and their um, position as a human being in America as somebody, if it wasn't for them, we would even have the opportunities that we have in this world. Um, 
so they find themselves in a way of survival mode, self-medicating or um, just trying to survive. Um, mental illness um, plays a big factor on them and eats at them, um, along with other things. Now, I'm not even going to begin to say that I know or understand uh, where they're at because I, I'm not. Um, I have never been in the situation that they um, find themselves in. However, um, they do go from a life of being, um, you know, on the good side of the government, if you will, to being caught up in the system. They find themselves in jail, in prison. They find themselves homeless. They find themselves um, trying to survive, you know, in a world that the government makes every obstacle it seems, in their way of being able to have some type of level of normacy um, from what they know to be normal now. Um, and there is a lot of controversy um, where, I, I believe, where this comes from with um, our military and the government. And I think that I have a very big opinion. <laughs> um, I don't believe that the military personnel, men and women, and I say children because a lot of them are are very, very young, um, and just because they're a certain number doesn't mean that their mentality is adulthood, um, but nor here nor there, there's no adult that really is um, prepared either for the world of war and military status, so, but to be in that area of life and the number of veterans that we have and the number of military people that we have, um, I don't believe that they should have to have the same level, um, if you will, of um, what a civilian does. And I'm going to elaborate on that. I don't feel like they should have taxes. I don't feel like they should have to wonder where they're going to live. I don't feel like they should have to wonder where they're going to get their next meal or have clothes on their back or have medical attention, have transportation, have um, the medical necessities that they need, have compensation for their mentality, their physical abuse of what they've endured during their, their you know, um, their job in the military, their placement. Um, and I don't think that there should be one single military personnel, especially those that have served and are now veterans, that should want for one doggone thing. And I'm very, very stern on my opinion with that. So I'm going to go over. So I, I have been free micing it for a while. Um, before that, I was doing a lot of printout things and typing up my skit on what I wanted to talk about. Um, and today I have a little bit of, of both. I have made some copies of some stuff that I found um, on the internet that I want to go over. And then I also have my um, my own personal thoughts. And of course, too, as if you know me and listen to my podcast, I'm going to veer off on my own personal um, opinions and thoughts as we go as well. Um, because this is... <laughs> This is our life. This is who we are. This is what keeps getting swept under, and I'm going to say this with respect, 
And as I elaborate, I hope it makes sense on the respect to this, because I am very big on, uh, I'm very patriotic. And I've said this before, I am not uh, an American because of our government. I'm an American because of our men and women uh, in the military. And I'm proud of that. I am ashamed of our government. Um, I'm actually embarrassed by our government. Um, but I'm going to read some alarming information and figures about different types of war um, that we have endured as Americans. Um, what, and I, oh, I was going to say, wow, <laughs> sorry, I got sidetracked. I feel like a lot of things on who we are as Americans get swept under, disrespectfully swept under our American flag. And I think that people take that American flag for granted. And they just look at it as something that is on a pole, blowing in the wind, and let's occasionally raise it at half staff because somebody has died and we know about You know what? There is a military person that dies every day. Every day. That flag that blows, blows from the women and men whose breaths make up that air and that oxygen to have it wave in the air like it does. And for us to disrespect it and sweep all the negativity and all the bullshit underneath that flag is disrespecting our heritage, who we are, and what this country is supposed to stand for. And I, for one, am not that kind of American. And um, I'm going to read some history here. But I'm going to make it nice history because if you're all like me, I was not good in history at all in school. <laughs> but I think it's time that we not only come together as a country, but as human beings. And also our younger generation needs to know exactly what they are disrespecting. What they need to understand is where they actually come from. But also, too, their responsibility on where we are going to go. Because we are not, our generation, our generation before us, I, I always say I'm classic. I'm 50, 49, 49 plus 2. I am 51 years old. Um, I just had my birthday. I'm 49 plus 2. Um, anyway, I always say I'm classic. Because you listen to radio and they say all oh, music, all classic all the time. And I know all the songs. So I'm classic. My mom's like, well, what am I, antique? No, mom, you're vintage. Um, you know, she's 71 years old. She's vintage. And vintage is in now. Um, of course, it should always be in. Because everything, um, everything it has a place in this world. And everything is important. Everything matters. And everything that was is a reason why of what is and what is will be responsible for what will be and we classics vintage um, we're not going to be around forever forever and our children our younger generation in today's society is not going to have our guidance is not going to have our knowledge, is not going to have our stories, and is not going to be able to know their place in this world to even know what to defend and even know what it is to show respect. 
I don't even know. Some people in this generation even know what that word means. And and I'm not going to sit there and try to belittle our, our generation now at all because I've got kids and grandkids, um, at, you know, in this world. But quite honestly, I'm afraid for my kids and grandkids on what the future is going to hold based off of the way the world is now. And I want to read a little bit some alarming numbers and also I have some stories that I printed out off of military.com um, and also um, I have some um, <laughs> awards that have been given to some military personnel. I only printed out a few of them because there are so many one of which is a person I can say is very near and dear to our family. Um, and he has um, an award on here as well. He was um, honored um, with a very high action. Um, and I will read their stories um, as we go along. But I hope in doing so, it might put some perspective on where we're at in life, but more so where we're at as human beings in America and where we are at with our government, where we're at with each other, um, but also where we're at with God and our human status. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by reading what I found on military.com. Um, it was written by um, Blake Stillwell. Um, it was published on May 15, 2020. Blake Stillwell is a former Air Force combat photographer with degrees and experience in graphic design, television and film, and international relations, public relations, and Middle Eastern affairs. Um, he decided to become a writer. So he actually wrote this post that I have printed off of military.com. Um, and I have highlighted some um, stuff on here to kind of draw my attention to. I've skimmed over it, but I'm going to read it to you um, and um, kind of just tell you what's, what it says. And then I'm going to go over some of the information on the different um, military um, people that um, have been awarded some very high um, honors. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't have all of them um, because there are so many of them. Some um, have... Um, did not make it, and some did. So, <clears throat> anyway, Blake goes on, and, and he talks about uh, Memorial Day by the numbers, casualty of every war. And you can go on military.com, and you can find this uh, information. Basically, I just typed in um, something along the lines of the number of people that have died in wars in America. And um, this is what it brought up. This is what I chose. So it's got a list of all the wars that we have gone through. And it says American war deaths have varied dramatically. Depending on the war, they were volunteering or being drafted for to fight. Some fell to the enemy. Many fell to disease. Since the Revolutionary War ended, 646,596 American troops have died in battle. And more than 539,000 died from other non-combat-related cause causes just in the Revolutionary War. 
Over the years, a lot of Americans have described the reasons they volunteered to serve. Many admitted, admitted that they were afraid of dying in combat. No one ever asked them if they actually considered the odds of dying. They just went to fight anyway. In 2018, more than 18 million Americans identified themselves as veterans. 18 million. The oldest being from World War II and the Korean War. Every year that number dwindles, making it even more imperative to, to remember the war's fault. To remember the Americans who died and are unable to tell their stories. The Revolutionary War deaths. According to the American Battlefield Trust, around 230,000 proto-Americans fought in the Continental Army. Though never more than 48,000 at a time, the colonial militias mustered up another 145,000 with death toll around 6,800. The chances of dying in combat in the Revolutionary War were at roughly 1.8%. But that's just from combat operations. The diseases were much deadlier than any enemy of the British troops, killing 17,000 Americans. So even if they survived the battles, they would still have a 4.5% chance of dying from malaria, smallpox, or dysentery. The Department of American Veterans cites a much lower number of the war dead to 4,435. So your chances of dying in service-connected deaths were much lower, according to the VA, at 1.18%, as opposed to 1.8%. The War of 1812, so that's just a Revolutionary War. Now we're at the War of 1812. The War of 1812 deaths during the Madison's War, as it was diversely called in New England. The U.S. Army had 35,000 men at its peak, with another 458,000 throughout the United States, not all of whom were called up to fight. Some 15,000 Americans died as a result of the War of 1812, but only around 2,260 deaths were due to the fighting. The rest were all from disease. So if you're fighting the war in the Army, your chances of dying from fighting were about 0.8%. Dying from the disease was much, much, excuse me, was much more likely at 0.34% chance. The VA shorts the American Battlefield Trust for this war too, citing only 286,000 combats with 2,260 service-connected deaths, a calculated fatality rate more than twice as high. That's a lot of people so far, and that's only two wars. Now we're going to go to the Mexican-American War death. There was a Mexican-American War. In 1846, the war which expanded the United States to include Texas, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, and parts of Colorado, pitted just over 78 1,700 U.S. troops against 82,000 Mexicans. Historians in the VA agree that 1,733 U.S. troops were killed in the war, a whopping 2.2% death rate. 
This number would be staggering if you had no had no idea that diseases and other non-combat mishaps killed 11,550 more. A stunning 14.67%. Before the Civil War, diseases were more effective at killing American troops than any enemy was. The death rate in Mexico was 16.9%, which would have been memorial if not for what had came in the next war. So that's three wars. Fourth war, Civil War. Civil War deaths, a rough estimate from the American Battlefield Trust, puts the number of Americans killed in the Civil War. Are you ready for this? Killed in the Civil War, 650,000. The VA estimated around 2.2 million Union combats when combined with the Confederate combats. The number of Americans who fought the war reached 3.26 million. With these numbers, the overall likelihood of fighting and dying in combat was 6.6%, around the same likelihood of fighting and dying in the Union Army. The chances of dying in combat in the Confederate Army was around 7%. In all, including non-combat deaths like disease, the chances of dying as a soldier or a sailor in the Civil War was 18.9%, still the largest death rate in U.S. military history. That's a lot of human beings. Next war, Indian Wars death. Throughout the early history of the United States, the U.S. Army worked to support manifest destiny and westward expansion. The VA estimates some 106,000 American troops fought to tame the West, quotation marks, and at least 1,000 died doing it giving the combined wars with Native American tribes a death rate of 0.94%. The Spanish-American War The total number of American service members who fought the Spanish-American War hovered around 306,700, with 385 dying in combat. 0.12% of those who fought in the war were killed by the Spanish. Disease did a number on American troops in this war as well. More than 2,000 felt the disease and other non-combat issues. The next war, World War I. If the Spanish-American War showcased the U.S. military operating at high efficiency, then World War I was the beginning of the end of that with 4.73 million men in uniform. World War I saw Americans mobilized like never before. Around 2.5% of those would not even make it home. As 53,402 fell to the enemy and another 63,114 to other causes. So a great war-era soldier was almost as likely to perish due to trench foot or Spanish flu as to a German bullet. <coughs> Next war, World War II. 
this war was saw more than 16 million Americans in a uniform and completely reshaped American society actually had a lower proportional combat death rate than the Civil War. And I hope I don't butcher this number. Only 1.8% of 16,112,556 Americans who served in combat died at the hands of the enemy. A combat death likelihood roughly on par with World War I. According to the National World War II Museum, for every 1,000 Americans who served in the war, 8.6 were killed in action, 3 died from other causes, and 17.7 received non-fatal combat wounds. The VA estimates there are 389,000 living World War II veterans as of this posting. Not my posting, posting of this letter. Um, on May 15, 2020. Now the next war. Korean War. Around 2% of 1.79 million who served in Korea would never come home. The Defense Department states that 36,574 Americans died fighting in the Korean War. And a total of 54,246 died as a result of the war. While this is a current tally, the number of Korean War era deaths has changed slightly over the years. A 2000 CBS report found uh, that the DOD had been slowly changing the number of combat deaths and Korea, Korean War related deaths over the ensuing decades. At the end of the war, the tally was 54,260, which combined 33,643 combat deaths to 20,617 other deaths. The chances of dying skyrocketed for participants of the Korean War's famous battles. Of the 30,000 U.S. troops in the Battle of the, the Chosen Reservoir, for example, 6,000 were killed or went missing, a 19.75% loss. As of November 2019, there are now 33,739 reported combat deaths, deaths in theater, 2,839 non-combat deaths, and another 17,672 non-combat deaths outside of the Korean War. If the Korean War had lasted as long as the Vietnam War, the death toll would have climbed to 168,630, more than World War I. The VA estimates there are 1,165,000 living Korean veterans, Korean War veterans. Next war, the Vietnam I was not alive, obviously, when all these took place, but um, if I remember correctly, 
our troops were very, very, um, treated wrong, straight up, on this front. Um, but I'm going to read. The number of Americans fighting in Vietnam nearly doubled, up to 3.4 million from the number of Korea. But the number of troops killed in the war grew by 62%. And that was over the span of 14 years. Starting from when President John F. Kennedy uh, ramped up U.S. involvement in 1961 compared to three years of fighting in Korea. <clears throat> More than 58,220 American troops died during the course of the Vietnam War. For a death rate of 1.7%, despite the prolonged fighting improvements in battlefield medicine and the mobility of helicopters, helped save many lives. <clears throat> Next war. The Gulf War. The Gulf War, 1990-1991, saw a force of 694,550 American troops in service or deployed in the support of the war. Of those, 383 were killed for a death rate of 0.1% according to the VA in November 2019. There are many reasons for the shift, lopsided victory and the relative low human cost, for the winners that is, vast improvements in battlefield medicine, search and rescue operations, inoperably between branches of service in allied nations and the Caspar Weinberger Colin Powell doctrines of overwhelming decisive force with the in, uh, intent to win all contributed to the coalition's success in the Gulf War. Next war Iraq and Afghanistan deaths. The success of American battlefield medicine operational risk management continues through the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. According to the most current analysis of casualties from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, updated on May 2020, 2.5 million American troops deployed in support of Operations Enduring Freedom, Iraqi Freedom, and New Dawn. Of those, 5,364 died in action and another 1,476 died in non-hostile incidents. This gives the latest ongoing war death rate at 0.27%, according to the VA numbers. A more liberal estimate from iCasualties.org sets the number slightly higher. At 8,498 combined deaths for those at a rate of 0.33%. The reports from iCasualties are slightly different than those from the DOD. Because, <coughs> excuse me. A rate of 0.33%, I'm sorry, <laughs> wrong sentence, <laughs> because <laughs> the website uses information from news reports instead of relying solely on the government reports. Hmm. Why 0.33% is still relatively small, it doesn't make the numbers any easier. As of 2017, an estimated 624,000 American veterans are dying every year. A study from the National Institute of Health estimates that half of the men 
who die every day are veterans. I'm going to say men, men and women. Die every year, they are veterans. As we remember Americans' fallen troops on Memorial Day, we might also stop by and visit those who have fought past wars and listen to those memories of their fallen comrades in arms because they might not be around on Veterans Day or any other day for that matter. You can learn a lot from somebody who has actually um, gave their life to save yours. You want to learn more about military life, whether you're thinking of joining the military, looking for post-military careers, or keeping up with military life and benefits. Military.com um, has a lot of information for you. You can subscribe to it to have military news updates and resources. They will be directly um, sent to your uh, email address and your inbox. And that is from military.com. And we are 32 minutes into this, so I'm going to read now. There's a lot of numbers. A lot of numbers. A lot of human beings. Um, <sighs> I'm going to go through some of these. Um, and I am apologize to any family members um, if you're listening to any of these. If I butcher any of the names or information by trying to pronounce them, um, I would do my best <laughs> not to. Um, but also, to um, my heart goes out to you. My hats go off. And um, my hand is forever over my heart. Um, definitely thank your uh, loved one for their service their life, their dedication, and their non, um, non-selfish uh, life that they've given. Because even though they've come home, uh, even if they didn't come home from the war, or from the military, and they, and they physically came back, doesn't mean that they survived. And my hat goes uh, out and my heart goes out to each and every one of you um, as you continue fighting a battle to a war um, that some of you might not even chose to be in. Because I know when they did the drafting, um, some people, as they call went AWOL. Um, they went to Canada to get away from drafting. Um, but these, some of them were merely just young children, not even old enough to drink yet. And they were expected to go fight a war for mankind in our country, but yet wasn't old enough to even have a beer. First one I'm going to start with was a 20-year-old, 20 years old, and he died. His name was Loring William Carper, date of birth December 1st of 1946. He was from Winchester, Virginia. He got a silver star. He was in action during the Vietnam War. He served in the Navy, Navy, excuse me, and was a hospital man. Division First Marine Division. <coughs> and this was what it said. The President of the United States of America takes pride in representing the Silver Star, 
to the hospital man Loring William Carper Jr., United States Navy for conspicu conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity. I'm going to butcher these names. I apologize. An action against a hostile force while serving as a hospital man for a 20-man uh, reconscious. That is not even that word. Anyway, platoon of first four uh, recognizance. That's the word. Recognizance company. Sorry. First Marine Division in the Hugh Pugh by area. And if you're in the military and you know what these mean and I'm butchering, I hope you get a giggle, at least a giggle out of me trying to say these. <laughs> um, but it means I'm not trying to be disrespectful. <laughs> um, but I'm trying. <laughs> so, anyway, let's see. Um, where was I? First Marine Division and the Hugh PHU. Few, few by area, Republic of Vietnam, on the afternoon of May 17, 1966. During an attack, attack of enemy dead Kong forces, one of the Marines fell critically wounded. Displaying a complete disregard to his own safety, hospital man Carper, in the midst of the fight, firefight, unhesitantly answered the call of corpsmen and maneuvered forward. As he reached the side of the wounded Marine, he was hit by a small arms fire and in the final act of selfishness, uncommon heroism, placed his body atop, atop of the wounded Marine, protecting him from further fire. Hospital Carper gallantly gave his life in the service of his country and for a felon, fallen comrade upholding the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. This 20-year-old young man literally laid his body over another human being to protect him from being shot up and gave his life doing so. Next one. <coughs> this one does not have his date of, de uh, date of birth, but he did die. <coughs> Alexander Colts, Salem, New Jersey, served in the Vietnam War, given a silver star. He was in the Navy, hospital man, 1st Battalion, 1st Marine Division. Now I'm going to say this before I go on anymore. I say they're in the Navy, but then I say Marine. And I'm going to say this because I, our friend, I said that was an, a really close um, friend of ours who received one award. He was in the Navy. And uh, the Marines did not have uh, medical. So they called on the Navy to come in to give medical. So he was in the Navy, but then got dispatched to the Marines to give them medical. So when I say that they're in the Navy, but then I read the, the Marine, it's because they were medical. The hospital man was medical. So he went from the Navy and serviced the Navy and the Marine Force. From my understanding, from what I was told. <coughs> He goes on to say, the President of the United States of America 
takes pride in presenting the Silver Star to hospital man Alexander Coles Jr. United States Navy, the conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity in action against the hostile force while serving as corpsman with Company D, 1st Battalion, 1st Marines, 1st Marine Division, in action on January 23, 1967, in the Republic of Vietnam. When the 2nd Platoon of Company D was brought under a withering barrage of enemy small arms fire and sustained several casualties, Petty Officer Coles quickly moved from his position in the rear squad to the front where the casualties were located. Unhesitantly, he rushed into the open rice paddy, completely ob oblivious of the intense fire he was drawing, and treated the first wounded man he spotted, who was lying in a completely exposed position. After treating the casualty, Petty Officer Coles pinpointed another seriously wounded Marine and began to crawl still further into the exposed position to give aid to the fallen comrade. In a valiant attempt to reach the wounded man, Petty Officer Coles was fatally wounded when struck by enemy gunfire. By his courageous actions, complete disregard for his own safety, and selfless devotion to duty, he upheld the finest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Next one. He was 22 years old. He too also died. <coughs> Charles William Dewar. D-O-E-R-R. -R. It might be Dewar. I apologize if I, I don't know how it's, it's, that's how it's spelled. Date of birth, September 24th, 1930. Ebensburg, Pennsylvania. Silver Star, Korean War, Service in the Navy, Hospital Man, 1st Battalion, 1st Marine Division. The President of the United States of America takes pride in presenting the Silver Star to Hospital Man Charles William Dewar, United States Navy, for conspicuous gallantry and integrity while serving as a corpsman attached to Company A, 1st Battalion, 7th Marines. 1st Marine Division in action against enemy aggressor forces in Korea on October 6, 1952, volunteering to accompany a rifle squad on a mission to reinforce an infantry platoon during an attack on a strongly defended enemy outpost, Hasman and Dewar unhesitatingly exposed himself to an intense mortar and artillery bar barrage to administer first aid to the numerous casualties struck down by the initial burst of fire. Mortally wounded by fragments from a bursting enemy shell, while attending a wounded Marine, Hasman endured by his outstanding courage, daring in initiative, and selfless efforts in behalf of his comrades, served to inspire all who observed him and upheld the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. His gallantry gave his life for his country. <clears throat> Next one. Charles S. Carcanero. Korean War, Silver Star, 
Navy Hospital Man, Division First Marine Division. <clears throat> the President of the United States of America takes pleasure in presenting the Silver Star to Hospital Man Charles S. Kazanario, United States Navy, for gallantry in connection with military operations against an opposing armed force while serving as medical corpsman with the Marine Infantry Company of the 1st Marine Division in action in Korea on September 27, 1950. During the attack of the company, of his company, Hospitalman Carsanero, serving as a company corpsman, observed a wounded Marine lying in exposed enemy fire-swept area. Without regard for his own personal safety, he fearlessly exposed himself and ran to the side of the wounded Marine. On the way, he was wounded himself in the thigh. Despite the pain and suffering from loss of blood, he courageously continued and administered aid to the wounded Marine. Another Marine became a casualty, and disregarding his own wounds, Hospitalman Carcenero went to his assistant, assistance. While treating the wounded Marine, he was again wounded. Although suffering from two painful wounds, he pulled the wounded Marine to a covered position and submitted to aid himself. By his courageous actions and display of initiative, all members of his company were inspired. Hospital Carcenero's heroic actions were in keeping with the highest traditions in United States Naval Service. He survived. Physically. William G. Areza, A-R-A-I-Z-A, hope I'm saying that right, Silver Star, Korean War, Navy, Hospitalman, 1st Marine Division, the United States of, the, excuse me, let me start over, the President of the United States of America takes pleasure in representing the Silver Star to Hospitalman William G. Areza, United States Navy, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity in action against the enemy while serving as a medical corpsman attached to a Marine Infantry Company of the 1st Marine Division during operations against enemy aggressor forces in Korea. On September 26, 1950, while under intense enemy small arms, machine gun, and anti-tank fire, hospital men Areza fearlessly risked his life to run forward from his covered position into a fire-swept area, and although painfully wounded, succeeded in pulling a wounded Marine from a distance of about 30 yards to a semi-covered position where he administered first aid. His exceptional courage, fortitude, and inspiring devotion to duty on behalf of another reflect the highest credit union hospitalman Eraser in the United States Naval Service. He survived. This one is, um, these are all just, um, there's a lot here. This one here, I'm going to read, this is a long one. John V. Kick, Kickham. Cleveland, Ohio. It does not say his, his birth date. Silver Star, 
Vietnam War, Navy, Hospital Man, Division First Marine, Aircraft Wing. The President of the United States of America takes pleasure in presenting the Silver Star to Hospital Man John V. Kirkham, Kickham, sorry, Kickham, K-I-C-K-H-A-M, United States Navy, for conspicu conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity in action while serving as a corpsman with Marine Medium Helicopter Squadron 364, Marine Aircraft Group 16, 1st Marine Aircraft Wing, in connection with combat operations against the enemy of the Republic of Vietnam. During the early mornings of February 5, 1971, Hospital Man Kickham launched aboard a CH-46 transport helicopter assigned to medically evacuate a Marine who had been seriously wounded by fragments from an enemy anti-personal mine. As the aircraft was lifting off after embarking the casualty, it came under intense hostile fire some rounds of which penetrated the cabin and ruptured the hydraulic fluid line, spilling a heavy flow of volatile liquid all over Hospitalman Kickham and soaking his clothing. Disregarding the obvious personal danger, he continued treating his patient as the pilot prepared to um, execute an emergency landing at the abandoned French fort nearby. The severe loss of hydraulic fluid prevented the pilot from maintaining absolute control of the transport and it, it crash landed in a moat surrounding the fort and rolled over with the windows on the right side beneath the surface of the water in the moat. While water, water rushed through the back ramp, filling the cabin to knee deep, hospital man Kickham attempted to lift the wounded man to a, an escape hatch and then and the waiting hands of the crewmen who had exited the crash aircraft. At this point, the helicopter burst into flames, which detonated ammunition and ignited his fluid-soaking clothing, causing him to sustain severe burns. Although suffering intense pain, Hosteland Kickham resolutely attempted to carry his companion away from the fire and to the forward cabin where there's another escape hatch. But in doing so, he fell through one of the submerged windows and began became almost hopelessly entangled in um, wire lining the moat. After heroic struggle, he freed himself and swam to the other side of the helicopter in hopes of re-entering the cabin and rescuing his patient who had slipped from his arms during the fall into the water. Becoming entangled in a wire the second time, he again struggled desperately to free himself, and upon reaching the surface of the water, realized that the wire surrounded the transport, which made any further rescue attempt impossible, and forced him to abandon his selfless mission. By his indomitable courage, fearless determination, and unwavering devotion to, do to duty in the face of grave personal danger, Hospital Man Kirkham inspired all who observed him and upheld the highest traditions of the Marine Corps and the United States Naval Service. He physically survived. Now I have more here, but we are going on 51 minutes, and I want to read 
the one on our dear friend and uh, of our family. He and his wife both served in the Navy. Um, matter of fact, I believe that's where they met. <laughs> um, his name, and I hope I don't butcher his last name, <laughs> uh, Roger D. What's Roger Dale uh, Sears, S C E A R S E, um, Louisville, Kentucky, Silver Star. He was in the Vietnam War in the Navy, hospital man, 2nd Battalion, 3rd Marine Division. The President of the United States of America takes pleasure in presenting Silver Star to Hospitalman Roger D. Sears, United States Navy, for conspicuous gallantry and integrity in action on June 11, 1966, while serving as a corpsman with Company F, 2nd Battalion, 9th Marines, 3rd Marine Division, in connection with operations against insurgent communist forces in the Republic of Vietnam. When his platoon detonated, an anti-personal mine which killed one Marine and wounded seven others, including himself. Hospital and Sears, although sustaining severe sharper wounds in both arms and legs and a fracture, fracture of the left leg, courageously crawled to each of the wounded men to administer medical aid. When fragments from a second explosion sprayed his body, he realized the platoon was in the middle of a minefield and shouted instructions to clear the area in order to minimize further detonations. Continuing his ministrations under extreme personal hardship, he supervised the evacuation of 20 wounded Marines before accepting evacu evacuation and treatment for himself. By his exceptional courage and inspiring devotion to duty, Hosswoman Sears upheld the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Now those are only a few that I'm going to read right now. Um, this is what that flag is about, people. That's what this country is supposed to be about. That's what our government is supposed to be about. That's what a man, mankind is supposed to be about. <clears throat> and I'm going to say some personal things here. My, my take on um, our government, our mankind, our military, God, and everything in between. <clears throat> the government wants us to believe in them. Yet they do nothing to take our trust. They, sorry, they, let me start over. My own handwriting is a little bit much to read. Because <laughs> when I get something in my mind, I do what they call chicken scratch. <laughs> because I have a thought and I just start writing it. And sometimes I'll be laying in bed or somewhere and I'll start thinking of all this stuff I want to say. And I'm like, man, I hope I remember that. So when I started thinking this, I thought I need to get a piece of paper and a pen. I, you know, so here we are. The government wants us to believe in them, but yet they do everything to take our trust from them. Misleading promises and unlawful opinions to straight up illegal actions without unlawful consequences. 
They tell us our health is important, but yet use chemicals and GMO in our foods and our medications. Tell us China brought COVID and har harmed our country, but yet to continue to trade products and allow the sell of products and not only have our government phones come from them, but also we get the COVID testing products from China-based companies and other outside countries. They tell us our illegal drugs are due to smuggling from outside countries. Yet continue to allow us of outside borders all around the U.S. to remain unsecure. This is done by land, sea, air, and the use of technology. And furthermore, don't also admit that the U.S. does this as well as in our own backyards, as well as we are also a, con a contributor to the problem of the smuggling process. <laughs> then have the nerve to allow the sale of life-saving products such as Narcan at places like Walmart, for instance. Walmart sells them for over 40-some dollars. Yet there are companies that ship these same products and more different life-saving products in the mail for free. And there are also vending machines at hospitals and under lo other locations that dispense them for free. But yet companies want to monopolize on it. Because, you know, Walmart needs the money, right? Why are we more worried about killing off our Americans than saving them? How can they tell us there was a life-threatening virus going around, yet only solution was non-protective porous cloths can contain our own carbon monoxide that offered no protection, offered no training on how to properly handle our personal protective equipment, not supplying any necessary bio boxes, biohazard gloves, masks that actually protected us from cross-contamination, but try to make it almost mandatory to get a non-working vaccine that was thrown together for a virus they knew nothing about based off of unreliable data from supposedly life-saving protection that didn't even work properly to protect us. But while we're at it, let's put a product shoved up our noses from a country we are blaming that started it all to later say it just needed to be gently swabbed on the edge of the inside of our noses and hey by the way you can do this now from the, your home all by yourself and just mail it in or just read you know the little card or whatever now buy a kit to ship to you by the same some of the same outside country that is supposed to be responsible to start the mandatory country, country shutdown in the first place have you ever stopped to Google and look up 
the manufacturers that made the COVID testing, they're stationed out of China. Some of them. Singapore, I think. <coughs> That's in my different notes somewhere. <laughs> um, not to mention countless other things that they have done, continue to do, and continue to get by with. As an American, I'm embarrassed. As a human being, I'm at the mercy of a dictated government that takes advantage of their jobs to make our lives, our livelihoods, and our well-being, our sanity, at their mercy. It's a job for them. It's a lively way of life for us. <laughs> I am not American because of our government. I'm an American because of the sacrifices of the countless men, women, and children that risk their all to protect, serve, and die in one way or another for a government that doesn't even remember who they are and their loyalty to these same men, women, and children that without them, they wouldn't even have the freedom to even be. Then have to deal with the same unappreciative government to not even have the decent necessities for them and to not even and not even prevent them from being homeless, lost in a system, or lost in their own minds. Fighting a war of battle from a government that does not even know their names. A statistic. Why are our military required to have the same rank, if not lower, than their fellow American civilians? They who served gave their all literally, came back to a country that taxes them, controls, limits, and maintains the resources that not only they need, but they deserve. Why are there not compensations, if it's even possible, high enough for their livelihood that does not even begin to compare with what they've lost in one way or another? Someone told me the other day, and I'm not going to say who, it doesn't matter, that it's going around that we shouldn't display our flags, because <coughs> I have a flag hung outside our door. I'm very patriotic. I really am. And I also have a military family from all walks of service. Anyway, when I asked why, they said supposedly it's to not support our president. <laughs> Wake up, people. <laughs> Our president doesn't define that flag. 
that flag. We do. We define that flag. We should be ashamed of ourselves to even allow that BS garbage to even have the opportunity to go around and insult our control, our freedom, and our fellow men and women and children that's stitched every single thread in that flag by the breath that they gave in order for it to wave. We define that flag. It is crap like that that should be a reason to secure, secure our borders from our very own people who take for granted what that flag represents. Go on the other side of that border to countries people are trying to escape from to get here. If you believe that we need to take our flags down because of our president, you are not an American. You are a hypocrite and a misrepresentation of what those stars and stripes stand for. So sit down, shut up, or get the hell out of this country. Or better yet, Stand up, speak up, and respect your place at the table in this country. So before you have a thought on whether or not you should stand, sit, remove your hat, place your hands over your hearts, think about what you, what you are, because of these and many others that gave you that right to have a choice to decide on what to even do. I was over someone's house on New Year's Day. <laughs> it was the middle of the night. And I don't I don't, I don't watch TV. Anybody that knows me knows I don't watch TV. I couldn't tell you last time. I think my Maybe the 90s might have been the last time I watched TV. <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> must be why I'm stuck in that day and age. Tim the Tool Man Taylor. <laughs> I think that was the last uh, show I watched. <laughs> Reruns. <laughs> um, anyway, I guess in the middle of the night, the TV station um, does the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, anyway, she knew this. And she was waiting for it before she went to bed. <coughs> and the Pledge of Allegiance came on. She stopped what she was doing. She stood up, put her hand over her heart, and recited the pledge with the TV. I was dumbfounded. I was flabbergasted. I... <laughs> had the most utmost respect for that woman at that moment. I'm not anti-government. I'm anti-bullshit. Not only did they lose their own lives 
are men and women. Does someone lost a spouse, a child, a parent, a grandparent, a relative, a friend, a co-worker, a combat buddy, a human being. <coughs> Our country shouldn't be about a battle against a battle, or an American against an American, or the government against their own mankind. And it sure in the hell has no place to be against the flag against our military in which each breath gives it the freedom to withstand the elements of the world. And it should be a cold day in hell when it should be a life of the government versus God. Now maybe you say, well, I don't believe in God. That's your freedom. That's your freedom of choice given by that flag. But I will add this. What harm does it do to believe in it? What harm does it do to believe in him? Something good, something positive, something other than evil and inhumane. What harm is it to believe in hope and miracles, especially when your very being in itself is a miracle of life? Look around you. Life, earth, us, we are one amazing miracle evolution of God. Now you can take a chance if you want to and go in hell by lying about a man who doesn't even exist. That happens to take over the meaning of Christmas. Santa Claus. You want our children to believe about a man who doesn't exist, but yet they can't believe in God. <coughs> Let's believe about a fat, jolly old man in a red suit with flying reindeer in a sleigh flying across the skies before technology was even created. Let, let them believe in that, though, right? And that's okay. Now, I'll add on to here. I will say... I believe in God, but I do believe in Santa Claus, too. Maybe that confuses you. Let me elaborate. I believe Santa Claus is each and every one of us that gives with our hearts. So I guess if you look at it as that way in the actions versus a fictional character, then there you go. What harm does it do to be a good, caring, giving, understanding, and, and a forgiving person? What harm does that do? We are so hell-bent on having drama and negativity and <laughs> evil in this world. We'd rather see bad things and judgmental things go across our social media and our lives than something that's good and meaningful. The government needs to stop playing God. And they need to stop taking God out of our country. They need to stop being hypocrites themselves. 
We are one nation under God, and in God we trust. Maybe instead, God needs to show the government how it's done. And I will defend that battle any day. I saw a meme come across social media. There's a picture of the White House, <clears throat> the gates open to the White House. And they had a, a person walking through the gates of the White House. <clears throat> it was Jesus. God's in the house. God for president. You know, I don't want to sit here and degrade any country or any human being. People are fighting battles in this earth far greater than what I will ever wrap my head around. I don't care what planet, country, nationality, sex, color, belief, whatever. It's a battle nonetheless of a human being that bleeds the same color as all the rest of us. <coughs> and we each matter. We are a part of this earth. You can live in your own world, but understand we are all contributors and responsible for this planet. Every single one of us. If you want to play God, God's going to show you how it's done. government won't be able to do a damn thing about it. That's just my opinion. <laughs> and if you are someone, and I say this to every podcast, I try to, because I don't take it as no joke. Mental health is just as important as any other. If you are struggling a battle that is far greater than what you can wrap your mind around, there are resources for you. And no, it's not easy to reach out for help. It's not. When your state of mind is in another place, it's easier said than done. And if you've listened to my other podcasts, I've been very, very candid about my mental state of mind. And I always say I am a suicidal survivor, survivor, among many other things. I have lost many people in my life. And one of which was my grandson and my dad. lost many friends actually just lost a friend a few weeks ago from cancer and um, life is a blessing it's a blessing box 
and it's full of a lot of things. Some is good and some is bad. Some you need, some you don't. Some are not meant for you, and some are. Some isn't about you, and some is all about you. <coughs> and if you're fighting a battle, 988 suicide helpline, 24 hours a day, <coughs> they are trained professional people get you the right resources. You could be anonymous. I say that um, you know, try to find somebody you trust and whatever to talk to. But I, speaking from experience, know that that is not always the case. But um, I know you don't know me. But you can always reach out to me. If anything, I'd be happy just to listen. I have um, a Facebook group page called Our House. It is the planet Earth with hands holding it. I do a lot for the homeless and a lot that have fallen in hard times. My moderators and my admins on there, we post a lot of resources um, and interact with a lot of people. Um, I do my podcast, of course. Like I said, I also have a YouTube channel. Um, I am working on making uh, videos. They'll be pre-recorded. They will not be live streamed as of yet because I do take care of my mother who is blind and bedridden. Um, and I do have to make my priority her. So if I'm doing something live stream and she needs me, um, you guys would just be looking at the air. <laughs> um, so I will be doing pre-recorded. Um, and that way if she needs me, I can pause it and I can come back where I left off. And I'm hoping to have that going within uh, the month, actually. So, my first step was starting my YouTube channel. And I do have that. And my podcast will be going over on that channel as well. Probably not all of them, because I have to upload the ones from before separately, prior to me starting my YouTube. And I don't really, I don't remember how I did it, but I've done it three times. But I don't remember how I did it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was trial and error. <laughs> But anyway, there is a link on my YouTube channel that links you to my Podbean uh, podcast. My channel on YouTube is D-D-E-E. -E. Let me clear my throat. It has a picture of me. Um, feel free to leave comments, any suggestions or any topics you'd like to hear. Um, I do plan to also have guest speakers. Um, and um, plan to do that hopefully by the, the month end as well. So I am all open for suggestions um, and um, respectful criticism, if you will. But um, this podcast is not just about uh, me making a podcast. It's about uh, making a difference and understanding that um, it's not about just me. It's about each one of you. And while I can't see who listens to this, it doesn't matter. What matters is there is somebody at the other end of this. And because you are here, this world is a better place. And please don't give up. Just taking a breath and opening your eyes is the greatest accomplishment. Because some people are not blessed with that.
and your time is valuable and precious. And it is one thing out of your life that you have that you can give to somebody that you can never give back. And if you have taken your time out today or any other time to listen to me, thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. Because I know that is a time in your life that you will not get back that you have chosen to share it with me. And that is priceless. And with that, I will come to an end. We're at an hour and 20. And I want to thank everybody, again, for taking time out of your life for me. But also, too, I hope that you take the time to actually not only listen to what I say, but also hear what I mean. And I hope everybody has a safe and blessed evening. Thank you very much for listening to me. This is the, this is my podcast, Let Me Clear My Throat, Government versus the Flag. Have a great and safe night. God bless you.